All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for, for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity. Over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, Jair Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions. A place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. Today, as our special guest, we have author C.C. Akeke. Is that how you say it? Oh, Hello. Kristen Shear. I don't know. I should have asked that in the beginning. <laughs> wow, bad hosts. We're horrible hosts, Chris. <laughs> well, it's, it's all you. Is that, it's all my fault, absolutely. Is that how you say your last name? Is it a Keke? Ikeke. Okay. We're going to call you CC because yeah. that's easy. And now it's going to make me want pizza. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that a regional thing, or do you guys have those out where you're at, too? The CC's Pizza uh, Buffet we places? Had one. Uh, not, I'm in SoCal, so I don't know if we have those. You probably have like the fancy stuff that that we can't afford out out east. <laughs> we have like some of these small places like Pizza Rat. That's one of the things we have out there. That's the one thing I miss about living in Philly was all the good pizza places. But anyway, we, we this isn't a food blog. Stop it, Jr. Stop <laughs> it. All right. So uh, CC is the author of the Star Brigade space opera series. He spent much of his childhood on a steady diet of science fiction movies, television shows, and superhero comic books. He discovered his desire to write books in college when studying for a degree in advertising. His love of domestic and internal international travel provides further inspirations for aliens and worlds seen in his writing. When not writing or building new worlds, you'll find him reading and watching the latest films. Although if you do find him reading, maybe you back up a little bit from the window because stalking is bad. People. <laughs> bad. I agree. But uh, – Cece, did we get it right? Miss anything important? You nailed it. Right on the button. That's because we stole it from his Amazon page. <laughs> so the the second part of the introduction is we tell everyone where we first found them. So I actually first found Cece uh, when he was interviewed on the Keystroke Medium podcast YouTube channel. Uh, I'm not sure how you'd classify that. But anyway, the links for that will be in the show notes if you want to watch. Uh, and then ran into him again through the various author groups uh, every you know indie author is in. And then when I started seeing his uh, books floating around my suggested reading list, I knew we had to have him on the podcast because who are we to argue with the great and mighty oracle of all things good and holy, the almighty Bezos of the Zondra? Wow. <laughs> we, we're just not worthy. I think you just promoted him. <laughs> You did. <laughs> so uh, what about you, Chris? Well, Cece and I are, you know, we're getting up there in the years. I won't say we're old because you're only as old as you feel. Am I right, Cece? 
Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I see. I will say, however, that we were around to see the Army Air Corps split from the Army. Uh, we saw aluminum foil get invented, and we used to be neighbors before that whole Pangea debacle. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, but but how we met was uh, CC was being nosy when I invented fire, and he got his beard burned off. <laughs> so, Watch the movie Year One. That gives an accurate summation of our how we met. That's right. Based on a true story. <laughs> now that's a show note. <laughs> it is actually a true story. But I'm played by Jack Black. It's interesting. I don't know how that worked. But... <laughs> that is just so rude. I know, right? They should have called you. Yeah, they should have. I could have given them a few pointers. Well. <laughs> <laughs> that is your most creative one yet, Chris. Oh. Hats off. Right on. <laughs> All right. So the first question, and I have my mouse over the kick button. The religion question. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Hmm. I am a lapsed Star Wars person. Um, oh. It's always, it's always going to be important to me. But, uh, you know, I might have to go with Firefly. Ah, good man. I've decided yeah. I've changed religions to Firefly as well. But why did you change? It's just the problem with Star Wars and Star Trek is that they've become literally too big to fail. And so they're not really innovating anymore, which is sad. <laughs> now there's Firefly. <laughs> Well, well, Firefly. Too soon. Too Firefly, soon. Firefly actually was doing some cool stuff before. It was, I think, the Firefly. It was on the wrong channel. Yep. If it had been Definitely. on a better channel, if it had been on a basic cable channel, you probably could have gotten maybe four or five seasons out of it. Oh, more than but, that. Yeah, or maybe yeah, exactly, even more. And we never would have had Castle, unfortunately. But um, I think that um, the thing with Star, if you just kind of go back with Star Trek, it's like. They're doing Star Trek Discovery, which is basically a rehash of the original series, but before the original series. And then you're just looking at the new, new Star Wars movies. And it's just like, it's unfortunately just going back in the well and just kind of, I mean, nothing really new. And it's unfortunate because I love Star Wars. Star Wars is a huge inspiration for me when I was started writing. Same as Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, kind of sad. All right. So after that sad note, what do you love? <laughs> Sorry about that. I brought it down there. What do you love about science fiction as a genre? I love the infinite possibilities. I love that the imagination, like what you can do with it. It's like it's limitless almost um, when it comes to the aliens, when it comes to the world, when it comes to what you do. But at the same time, you can still make stories that even if they're foreign or alien, they can still be relatable. And, or, you know what, you can do something super pulpy and fun and, you know, just something that's kind of like Buck Rogers and Flash, you know, you know, all that type of stuff. And that, that's a great thing about it is that it has so many subgenres that people can find and people can really get an avenue into. I love that about that. That's true. You can even have dragons in space. You know, I've never really been able to get on board with that. Oh. I mean, if people like that, then that's cool. Like, hey, that's people's thing. But for me, I was just like, I was trying to think, can I write something like that? But it's just, I think for me, dragons, unless it's like some type of alien species dragon, it's so mired in epic fantasy. I'm just like, uh, I don't know. But that's just me. <laughs> No problem. That's just me. You can send all your hate mail to cc at... <laughs> <laughs> don't at me. Don't at me. <laughs> He, he won't reply, though. He's too busy writing the next big thing. This is true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so besides Star Wars, is, is there another first memory you have of reading, uh, watching, or playing games in the sci-fi genre? Uh, good question. So 
I would say one of my favorite movies growing up, some of my two favorite movies growing up, was Fantastic Voyage, um, The Black Hole. Black Hole is awesome. Yes. Yeah. And I actually really, really liked, what movie I just had it in my head, Flight of the Navigator. Oh, yes. Ooh, good one. Yeah. Yes. Especially because I love that part. I love some of the parts in Flight of the Navigator. I mean, just the whole thing was awesome. But I love the part when they kind of had that almost kind of mini zoo within there and you had all those little aliens from different worlds. Like the one that looked like a snotty sausage, but it's because it had a cold. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <job. laughs> oh, I was just thinking about Black Cold, that, that red robot with the with blades yeah. for hands. Yes, yes. And th- oh. interesting is when you find out the history behind that is that that movie was rushed to production because, you know, again, even though I'm kind of, you know, a lap Star Wars worshiper, um, you really look at how Star Wars really changed all of space science fiction for the better. And it changed movies because that's the reason why we got the Star Trek movie series is because of Star Wars. Like they were actually just going to do another series. They're going to do Star Trek phase two. And then because Star Wars knocked it out of the park, they're just like, oh, we're going to make Star Trek movies. And Black Hole was made because Star Wars was so hit. Disney was just like, we want some of that Star Wars money, which they're definitely getting now. But back then, they're just like, we want to kind of do our own thing. Nice. Yeah. Mm. So I had to go from loving the genre to actually writing novels in it. So um, what happened was, I always wanted to kind of create my own worlds growing up. And so I used to be, a, I used to sketch a lot. And initially I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. I was thinking I'd be some artist in New York city or something. Mind you, this was like when I was seven years old. Um, and I, at this point I thought Jerry Coles were still going to be a thing when I grew up. Um, <laughs> seriously. So um, then I think once I got kind of got into comic books, that was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to be a comic artist. And then I initially kind of saw, like, at the time, it was really, really hard. Like, comic artists, it was not easy for them to kind of get their own, like, to keep their own ideas and to be able to really direct where they wanted their comics to go. So I was just like, eh, I don't know. Probably I'll put that to the side, but I'll still sketch. And then what happened was that when I was in college, I literally was, it was like the, the end of my sophomore year, and I was just kind of going through some of my old sketches as I was kind of packing up my, packing up to go back home. And I just had this eureka moment where I was just like, I'm going to write this down. I'm going to write this down. I, I'm going to write this as a book. And before that, I'd never had any plan or intention to be a book writer, but I just literally had this just like, I want to, I want to be an author. I'm going to write a book. And mm. so that's where that started. I was 20 years old, I think, at that point. So you had a bunch of ideas. You just didn't really have an outlet for it until you decided to write a novel. Exactly. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Now, do you still yeah. sketch? Not anymore, unfortunately. Um, I just I'd rather put my creative energy into just writing more so. Have you shared any of your images, like on your your website or anything, where if people were curious, they could go look? That's not a bad idea. Maybe I should. I still have a lot of them. I just yeah, I haven't really looked. Oh, nice. Years, yeah. Now you got blog content for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to resurrect my blog. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or, or, or Instagram or whatever. You could like make little mini, like, uh, what do you call it? Flash fiction about the images. Yeah. Or just like flashback Friday or throwback Thursday. None of those. Perfect. Perfect. I want to see those. So let us know when those go. We'll, nice. we'll share them in the, uh, in the Facebook group. Okay. All right. <laughs> Peer pressure is a thing. Remember that. <laughs> I'm seeing that. I, uh, yeah. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> 
All right. Now, now no. I personally have an, have an author that I try to emulate. I try to outdo. That's R.A. Salvatore. He writes mm-hmm. uh, science fiction. He even wrote for, for the Star Wars universe. He did new New Jedi Order. He wrote the first book, Vector Prime. That was oh, a great book. That was a great series. But yeah, you... it was a little it was a little long. But I, I thought it was a good I thought it was a good series. It was, oh. it was like nineteen books. It could like, have got oh, another fifty. I'd have bought them all. <laughs> the Yusin Vong. Oh, fantastic! Fantastic that's idea. That's, that's what they should have used for the new uh, Jedi series, the new Star Wars series. But I'm, that's just me. I'm still hoping they do it. They they can call it Legends. But I, I, I'm still hoping that they make it happen. But then again, uh, you know the the actors are getting old, and one of them's dead. So I don't think they can yeah. go back to that. Not some. Well, just re, they did it with Thawne. You reimagine Thawne, they can reimagine them here too. Yeah, that's true. So, who's been the largest influence in your writing? Do you have an author that you you emulate or try to outdo? I'd say the first major influence for me was probably. J.K. Rowling, when mm-hmm. in terms of like writing, and that was in terms of just characters, making sure the characters are well rounded, and just m- making sure that they're not even the heroes. Hey, they're going to make mistakes. They're not going to be perfect. They're not going to be the greatest friends, but there's something that they stand for. There's something that they keep striving for, and just also giving the villains some nuance as well. Just not making them evil with a capital E and twirling their mustaches. <laughs> right. So I'd you know, say she was definitely. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'd say you know what she does really well too is if you pick up book two and don't read book one, it's okay because you're right. There's nothing left out. She catches you up at least enough to enjoy the book. And that was the thing when I first started reading the Harry Potter series. I started with book three. That was an accident, but I started with book three and I was fine. I wasn't like there was stuff I actually when I went back and read books one and two and I was like oh but. You were fine. You didn't need to be caught up too much. Yeah, she's brilliant. Oh, she's brilliant. But I'd say her and another person was definitely George R. R. Martin. Because, um, and it was funny because I didn't become a fan of his writing until the, the show started. I initially was annoyed when I ever saw his name on Amazon because I was just like, oh, he's a Tolkien pretender. Just because of his name. Because it's like George R. R. Martin. I was like, oh my God, you're a Tolkien pretender. <laughs> um, yeah. without, without ever reading his books and then the show came out and I was like oh that guy's serious and so then the show was awesome or at least the first couple seasons so I started reading it and one of the things that he really influenced me with was the unreliable third person limited narrator and then also um, exposition dump because that was something I used to do a, I did a lot I do a lot in my books so sometimes you know some things you need to expose a bit and you want to do it in a way that doesn't completely take the reader out of it. And he does that so brilliantly. Mm. And so that was something that was really good to learn from and to see how he did it. And I was like, oh, okay. That's something I can implement in my writing. AJR? Yeah? I have a confession. What's that? I have never read a single word of his book or seen more than five seconds of any of his shows. Sacre bleu. <laughs> I haven't. I, I, hey, Chris? Yeah? I have a confession. What? I've never, I've never read any of his books or seen five seconds of his show. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I'm boycotting <laughs> until he finishes the damn books, and then once, oh, excuse me, the darn books, and then once the books are done, <laughs> I will watch the TV series. But until then, I'm holding out because I, I, I don't want to like get into the last book and have no ending and then just be left hanging for eternity. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I completely understand you there. I think, honestly, I think he's maybe gotten to it. It's either two things, in my opinion. He's either just doesn't care anymore. He's just like, I have enough money. He's a too long delay. Or maybe he's stuck and he can't figure out a way to finish it. I think it's probably the, the later because, I mean, you know, I think he would like to leave that as his legacy, I would bet. Because who wouldn't? So you I know, would bet he's he's stuck. It would be my guess. For what I understand, he might just end the book by killing everybody, literally everybody, and they call it done. Yeah, he'll he just have the doom of Westeros and then everyone dies. <laughs> Ta-da! Work, but it would, it would be an ending. So the um, – Wow, so that would be one heck of an ending. I don't know that um, he would leave people very happy. But there's always the fallback that you know Brandon Sanderson can end his series too. Oh, that's he's not got experience. That, that's not happening. He basically said straight out, he's like, no one's finishing this series except for me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now the question is, will his estate agree when they start, you know, <laughs> potentially seeing dollar signs? Yeah, <laughs> we might we might see a Prince or Michael Jackson situation this way. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. Uh, good, good music. Good music. Very much. So. All right. So, so, so back to your writing and and your stardom and and your soon to be, I'm sure, handprints on uh, in in front of the man's Chinese theater. <laughs> um, has anyone ever asked you for autograph out in public, away from conventions or regular book signing events? Um, nope. But what I am going to start doing next year is I'm going to start doing some local book signing events. So I'm going to start going to some of the cons that are in uh, my area because I've never done that before. And I've heard, you know, some people talking about, Hey, this is actually kind of, you can sell a couple books doing that. And if they hear it's a relatively positive experience, I'm like, Hey, why not? I'll try it out. I know um, we've, we've interviewed Jonathan Yanez um, and he's got a bookstore that he's affiliated with that does a lot with indie authors. You should, you should reach out and see about the book signing there. Um, I know, you know, he's, I, I could dig out his interview and, and find the show notes for it, but yeah, he's a cool um, dude. He's, I've talked to him. Yeah, he, he is, but I know he's, he's plugged into the California writing scene. Okay. So he's actually, and yeah, now he's, his, he's not too far. He's not probably about an hour south of me. So I should probably, yeah. Good to know. Now, Perfect. uh, Jonathan's, uh, interview is going to be a show note. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll have to talk to him. Good. Thanks for that. All right. So next question. Have you ever spotted someone reading one of your books out in the wild? I've spotted somebody on Facebook post when they bought one of my books. That was cool. Oh. Yeah. Like somebody tagged me and also on Instagram as well. That was pretty cool. I think in the digital age, that's exactly. as close as you're going to get without, you know, being arrested for stalking. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> well, my my plan is to carry one of those silver magic markers around with me, mm-hmm. and if I see someone reading one of my books on their Kindle, I'm going to sneak up behind him and sign it and run away. Yeah, but they'll know uh, who you are and where to find you because you know your name, your fingerprints, your your image. Oh, I don't have fingerprints. Neener neener. They'll be like, "No, you're not. You do not write this. You do not write. You're right. Who are you? Get away from me, you weirdo." Yeah, I'm going to quit coming to this town. (laughs) All right. Now, think hard, dig deep. What's a funniest interaction? Okay, if it could be funniest, scariest, weirdest, or just most entertaining for everybody around you, interaction with a fan that you've had so far. Now, first, before you answer this question, remember... That incident, you signed an NDA. You can't tell them what happened, all right? We're good. Just saying. Definitely not. 
Um, I definitely had, let's see here. I wouldn't even say like, like funniest, but I'd say one of the things that has really been, I'd say touching is the people who really have kind of taken to the series and they've kind of been like, oh, I really like this character. And they can kind of say, they tell you what you like. They, they kind of really get invested in it. And it's just like they tell you their theories on certain things. And it's really fascinating because it's just like, oh, I never thought of it like that. Or even better, it's just like, oh, that's exactly what I was trying to say. No one else got that. So um, those have been some of the cool encounters. I, th- that's happened a few times. So I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah. You can tell they're engaged because they actually thought about exactly, it. Exactly, yes, yes. And it's fascinating. It's yeah, nice. it's, it's really great when people really kind of dial, they, they, you know that they understood it and they kind of really dove in. Because, you know, a lot of times, as you know, as writers, you're kind of just in your heads and kind of in your kind of echo chamber and you just, you send your book out and you're hoping that people like it and read it and appreciate it. And when they do, like at first, I remember initially it's weird but then it's it's cool because you're just like, oh yes, great, good. I have fans. Like I actually have fans now. It's weird, but it's good though. It's good weird. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Chris is the bad weird, but you know we don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, right. the silver monkey, clearly. <laughs> That's what the restraining order says, but it's all lies. <laughs> so uh, hundred feet or under a thousand. <laughs> well, there, there's a reason he's not allowed into California anymore. I'm just just throwing that out there, but. Okay. Uh, just saying. <laughs> so this is this is the part of the interview where I list the various series that CC has written. So we have the Star Brigade series, which includes Resurgent, Maelstrom, Supremacy, and Ascendant. We have Star Brigade's Odyssey, an anthology, which I've read. It was pretty good. Um, I would suggest uh, reading his main series first. It'll make more sense, I think. Um, the Star Brigade Trader, a Star Brigade Strike File novella, Star Brigade Forsaken, a Star Brigade Strike File novella, and Star Brigade Inheritance, a, sci- uh, excuse me, a Star Brigade Strike File novella. Now, can those be read out of order, or do they need to be read after as well? So I'd say for those three, so for Trader, Forsaken, and Inheritance, those happen after the second book in the main series. So those happen between books two and three. Because there's a decent stretch of time between those two books. So those would make more sense. Actually, I mean, you could read them if you want to. But um, it would make more sense if you read them between books two and three. Then it will be like, oh, I see where this is going. And it's kind of like more bite-sized kind of novellas. Just kind of, hey, you know, in between the books. This will keep you keep you going. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he's also in Explorations, War, and Anthology, which uh, that was one of the times he was interviewed by the Keystroke Mediums when they interviewed all of the authors in that anthology. Um, He was – it was. I I enjoyed it. And that's linked in the show notes as well as your standalone solo uh, interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a bird. It's a plane. A superhero anthology. Superheroes and Vile Villains Book One which is a series of anthology um, anthologies about uh, superheroes. Then we have the Expanding Universe 3, Space Opera, Military Sci-Fi, Space Adventure, and Alien Contact, a sci-fi anthology, which um, I was also in. as yeah. a good one. It's lots of, lots of good stuff. Uh, Craig Martell puts out a good product. And then we have Pew Pew Volume 3, <laughs> Bite My Shiny Metal Pew anthology. And I actually had submitted for that <laughs> one. Um, uh, that was M.D. Cooper. 
And, um, and so those guys will be in the show notes as well. But MB read my story. Um, and he was like, yeah, you're a nice guy. And the story was good, but that's a little too barracks humor. Is there any way you can take that X and make you put a PG 13 on it? And I just didn't, I didn't have it in me. So, so Chris over uh, wrote over that one and that'll be released soon. <laughs> Chris can Oh yeah, that that's one. the one that you uh, you were like, uh, yeah, I don't know that the world is ready for that yet. <laughs> I love but it, but that's where that uh, that came from. I can't um, wait. He was like, if you could tone that down, the story itself was okay, but uh, yeah, Amazon might have something to say about that because it's all you know infantry barracks humor, and if anyone's oh, ever been around the military, okay. you can imagine how. Um, well, you wouldn't want your mama to read that one. Understood. <laughs> so, but that's uh, that's um, the Pew Pew yeah. anthology. There's, um, I think there's four of them now, but they're all sort of tongue in cheek, humorous um, science fiction short stories. So if that's your thing, man, you should check those out. Um, so I can tell you, so, a bit, well, so I can tell you a bit of stories behind. I'll, I'll just, it won't take too long, but I'll just tell you a bit of stories sure. behind each of them. So the Explorations War. That's actually the third book in that series of anthologies, and I was fortunate enough to get a spot on that anthology. Um, because, and the great thing about it is that each short story in that anthology is part of a larger story that that book is trying to tell that anthology. Because I think the first, the first one or two were basically kind of just stories that took place in a certain universe. But book three, what they were trying to do is everything kind of told like, hey, this is all leading towards this finale. This is all part of this big story within the Explorations universe. But for that one, it was all kind of war against this one evil entity without trying to spoil too much. And mine was a really fun story because it ended, it dealt with time travel and it kind of talked about the origin of the villain. So that was super fun. Um, the It's a bird, it's a plane. So that interestingly enough, the short story I did there was uh, part of a new series that I'm currently working on. And we may we can talk about it a little later. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to give a little story that was kind of more innocent and it kind of dealt with the... What is it like being the spouse of a superhero? So it deals with kind of a husband, kind of how he's supporting his wife, who's like the superhero in uh, this world of superheroes. And Wow. Yeah, and then Pew Pew, uh, that was super fun because that is um, that was completely a standalone story. And it, was, it dealt with like sentient hamsters who wanted to take over, uh, who took over planets and they wanted to take over Earth. And they were going to do that by posing as pets and then have themselves be the latest phase. But I don't want to spoil too much. I think it's <laughs> interesting premise. Yeah, it was a super fun story. So the um, the It's a Bird, It's a Plane was put on by um, Steve Bellalou, I yes. think, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then the exploration was hosted by Nathan Heistead's um, publishing company. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll link those in the show notes if anybody's interested. So, and those all sound like amazing books, but today we're going to focus on his Star Brigade series. Yeah. Um, I picked this series because many of his works are set in this universe, so why not talk about where it all started? So, uh, how did you come up with the idea or premise for this series? Where did the spark of inspiration come from? It was weird because it came from so many different places, but um, I can give you a primary, like, obviously, I'd say the primary inspiration when I was a kid came from Star Wars, of course. Because um, I was more of a Star Wars fan growing up when I was like really, really young. And then it wasn't until I was in my like early, early teens, that's when I became a Star Trek fan. So I'd say those were two like 
huge inspirations, that and then comic books, because I'd say Star Brigade, a lot of it, if you're kind of looking at the elevator pitch, it's essentially X-Men meets Star Trek with Mass Effect and Babylon 5 and, of course, Star of the Wars mixed in. And, um, yeah, superheroes, military superheroes in space. And initially they were more like they leaned more on the superhero side. But I think as I got older and as I kind of started developing the idea a lot more, I definitely wanted them to have a more military kind of edge because I felt that it started to get to the point where I was just like, does this make sense, being that, that they're superheroes and then who's governing them? And I think them kind of having kind of being these mili- more militarized force just work better, particularly for the universe that they're in, because they're more essentially like like a Delta Force or even like a Rangers or even seal, uh, like Navy SEALs, but they have superpowers. So Neat. Yeah. And I really dug that. And that's I think that's one thing that sometimes some readers kind of mix up is that sometimes they'll be like, oh, well, you know, they deal with all the they take care they protect the entire galactic union. And I'm like, no, there's a military. They're just like an arm of it. <laughs> They're just like a small unit in the military. It's just obviously this is from their perspective. This is about them. It's not about the whole military. So, all right, wow. that's a good good premise. I, I'd say as far as origin stories go, um, that's that's not a bad one. Yeah. But yeah. Um, we are at the half hour mark, so we are going to pause while we shamelessly shill for the man. Um, and a word from our sponsors. Hey listeners, Josh Hayes here, co-host of Keystroke Medium. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Sci-Fi Shenanigans. I tell you, we're really excited about what JR and Chris are doing with the podcast and are proud to feature them as part of our podcast partner network. When you get done listening to this episode, I'd like to invite you to come check out our own podcast at keystrokemedium.com. You can find all our previous episodes and check out all the amazing authors we've had on the show. If you're free on Mondays, mark your calendars for 11 a.m. Come hang out with us as we talk to today's leading science fiction and fantasy authors and other industry professionals. We've got a great live audience who get into a lot of shenanigans of their own, as JR and Chris can attest. That's every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, live on Keystroke Media. We're going to talk about some reading, we're going to talk about some writing, and of course, everything in between. And now I'll let you get back to some more shenanigans with JR and Chris. Have a great day. All right, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us through the commercial interlude. We are still with C.C. Akeke, um, and so he's talking about a Star Brigade series. So the premise of this series has a real um, science fiction mashup of many iconic series that you sort of hinted on, uh, and you did mention explicitly the Shades of X-Men. So so, um were you intentionally looking to set uh, the X-Men sort of vibe or did you, did you realize that after the fact? It was um, definitely, I'd say I, that was kind of where I was going for because I start, I remember when I initially started coming up with the ideas and this, I remember the very, very first member was inspired by a He-Man cartoon of all things. Oh, He-Man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm taking you back here. I'm going, 80s. Oh, it's so I'm going to eighties here. So there was a, there was a episode of He-Man where they were on this world made of like sentient robots, like sentient kind of organic robots. And that's where I got this idea for one of the characters. And so he was like the first star brigadier, if you will. And then little by little, I think as I kind of started getting more into X-Men, that's when I started getting, Oh, I want them to kind of be like mutants in outer space. And um, I didn't say like, it was funny because I, I, I can't say X-Men in outer space because outer space is such a huge part of their lore. So it's like, eh, it's not going to work. So it's, X-Men meets Star Trek. That's a lot better. And um, that's kind of what I was going for, is definitely kind of have that kind of be an X-Men vibe. 
So yeah. Okay. So uh, I I do have a little bit of a um. I still hold a grudge against T-Man because he got me in trouble when I was younger. But uh, but I, I will say after after years of therapy, I'm, I'm finally over it. So, I, you know, most of you young whippersnappers won't realize. But at one point in time, before they had the 1-900 numbers, which you would call, which you paid for, they had 1-800 numbers. And the 1-800 numbers you had to pay for. And then so many people wanted them that the 1-900 became the pay-for-ones and 1-800 became free. Mm -hmm. This is well before Wi-Fi and cell phones and and all of that. And they had a commercial they were running where you call this 1-800 number and you get to talk to He-Man or She-Ra. You hit a button and it tells you you get to talk to one Mm -hmm. or the other. So I called. My mom was not there to approve, even though they told me to ask for parental permission. (laughs) Because, you know, what parent's going to really say yes? But I called. And then I didn't even get to talk to He-Man. It was just a recorded message that was like super cheesy that uh, told you to listen to your parents. I'm like, well, if I'd done that, we wouldn't be listening to this. But uh, so I got, <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble. And then a- if I had gotten in trouble, but I had talked to He-Man, it might've been worth it. But not only did I get in trouble, I didn't even get to talk to He-Man and I was bitter for years, you called- years of therapy. You should have called him. The power- oh, you should have called him the power of Grayskull. That was the mistake. Yeah, I, I probably, I, I should have. <laughs> Skeletor, Skeletor was a Skeletor was a better role model anyway. Was he? Or what about Hordak? <laughs> Ooh, yes. He was Shira's main villain. Oh, jeez, I didn't watch a lot of Shira. Yeah, I actually watched both. I like both. I, I like them both too. They, they they kind of went in tandem. Yeah, they did. I well, think they, for well, each they were other. brother and sister. Even though it was weird because his name was Adam and hers was Eve. I'm like, uh. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work out, but I'm good. <laughs> sure. You know, right. I never actually put that together, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, Maybe wow. they were from West Virginia. Maybe Grayskull was in West Virginia. Yeah, from Eternia know. or something. Yeah. But it was all, you know what? It was funny because that situation, I mean, I, for, for me, I remember that always was in my head, but it was almost kind of like the whole thing with, uh, to go on a quick tandem, um, tangent, Batman versus Superman, where I didn't know that both Batman and Superman's moms were named Martha. I was just like, what? I never knew that was a thing. What? <laughs> and that's why they're fighting. They're oh, siblings. <laughs> anyway, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, all right. All right. Let's, let's, let's rein this yeah. pony in. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So, so which X-Men character do you like the most? Mm, you know, I, I was actually a big fan of, I, I, I was going to say Wolverine, but he's just so overdone and oversaturated that he's not fun anymore. Huh. Uh, I really like Bishop until they turn him into a crazed uh, murderer. Um, and then I also like Psylocke a lot. It was funny because I got into X, I got into comics around the 90s, so I didn't realize the big deal, the big controversy behind what happened to her, you know, the whole body swapping thing. Um, because they were putting her back in her original body. And so everyone's just like, Oh, finally. And I was just like, uh, I mean, I knew about it, but it's like, it never had an impact on me because I was like, I knew her as Asian Psylocke. So. Oh, okay. I didn't, I wasn't aware of any of that. I just watched it and, you know, hit the, I, believe button. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes people can over. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people can overanalyze. Oh like sometimes what is it? They say a cigar is just a cigar. Just Thank watch you. it and enjoy it. You know, you know who I actually love? Although I that, like the, the villains who I actually that? liked. I actually really – like X-Men had – X-Men had – that was one of the great things about X-Men in the comics is that it had a fantastic rogues gallery. It was one of the best rogues gallery in comics. And I'd say I really liked Omega Red. Omega Red came 
Yes, yes. Omega Red was a really, really good kind of just very good villain. He was a good foe because I can't think, I can think of maybe one or two times Wolverine actually beat him, but it usually took like an entire X-Men team to take him down because he was that dangerous. And um, I always liked Magneto. Magneto was a great villain just because of his, not just because of his powers, but what he stood for. Because he was kind of like, when you look at him, Professor X was was, uh, Martin Luther King, and Magneto was Malcolm X. They both wanted the same thing, but they were trying to do very violent ways. Like, Magneto was kind of much more militant way of trying to get there. In fact, he wanted mutant supremacy, where Professor X wanted uh, kind of coexistence. Right. That's deep. Have you been smoking the ganja with uh, Elon Musk? Is this <laughs> no, it's like I think I was reading some summaries about it, and I was just like, "Oh, they're absolutely right." And like, they actually are kind of like opposite sides of the same coin, and that's why they're such great uh, adversaries. And especially when you know that they were former friends, yeah, and they still have some affection for each other, but they're each trying to prove the other wrong. That's deep. Yeah, it's kind of too deep. <laughs> kick him out. No, no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> okay, all right. So, uh, <laughs> Well, like you mentioned, and, and that we had noticed when we were reading the summaries and what I got from the the uh, anthology, since your world was like a mashup of the many iconic yes. science fiction worlds, um, and and you mentioned the shades of Star mm-hmm. Wars and Star Trek, which are two of the most iconic uh, space opera franchises, because those evil doers over at Fox okay. canceled Firefly. <laughs> I'm yeah. still bitter. Um, but uh, so, what is it about those two series that inspired um, your work with the Star Brigade? I'd say when it came to Star Wars, I think it was just the world building just blew my mind. Um, when you really look at, like, even just when you watch the first Star Wars movie and you go to that uh, mosaic cantina, all those different aliens, you're just like, holy crap, how did he come up with that? And just the different types of worlds and just all those things bleeding in, I really, it was just fascinating. And also just the space battles. They made space battles fun because I can't remember any sci-fi before that where space battles were fun and exciting. Yes, I know you can't hear sound in space, but it's still awesome on screen. Yeah, still it's still amazing <laughs> um, And with Star Trek, I think what I loved about Star Trek the most it was a couple things where you had the a lot of the political stuff that happened, a lot of the politics between these star-spanning governments trying to, you know, Trying to, it's like something that could, like, how some of them is just, you're, you're literally walking a tightrope. One wrong move, one wrong word, one imagined slight could lead to intergalactic war between, like, the Federation and the Klingons or the Federation and the Roman Star Empire. And one of the things I really liked, I think Star, Star Trek had it, had this, had, um, this on, they really had the advantage over Star Wars was not just the political stuff between these different uh, governments, because there was not just this huge galactic empire type situation. They really leaned into the science fiction aspect of science fiction. So you got to see alternate universes, which that, that was actually the big reason why I loved alternate universes, because I remember watching the mirror mirror episode in the original series. And then also they played around with time travel. They had so much fun with that throughout a lot of the series and that was just something that I wanted to believe that I wanted that just really I absorbed when I was watching as a kid. And um, also one of the things that was really great is and this was actually a huge inspiration for the main character in Star Brigade is they had diversity. They had diversity in their show. Like that was something that you didn't really see a lot in Star Wars other than like Lando. 
but uh, literally, I think that was a bit because I remember specifically Cisco was like a huge inspiration in DS9 because this was a black man in space, which you didn't see too often. And he was a single father. He was a widower. So he not only had to manage the space station, he had to deal with the grief of losing his wife so tragically to the Borg, but he also had to be a father to the son as well. And and that was a huge inspiration for the main character of Star Brigade because he also is a widower who has to be a single father. And I wanted to make sure that because a lot of times, sometimes when you have somebody who's a fallen military hero who has to reclaim glory, you find him at this, you know, butt end of the galaxy in some diving bo- dive hole, getting like drunk off his behind. And then he has to be pulled back into it. But what I wanted to show with this guy is that he had to take a leave. But in that leave, he made sure he wanted to become a better father. He wanted to get his, he wanted to get his, uh, become a better father to his son. And then he gets pulled back because he's needed. But I didn't want to show him in this low, low place where it's just like he's wallowing in his despair. He's being in service to his son, just like he was in service to the military. And then now he has to balance both. Because before, he was the kind of almost like the backup parent because the wife was there, where he got to kind of more focus on his military career. But now he has to do both. He has to be the present parent while managing this military unit. Wow. Okay. He's getting so, way too um, deep. I can still kick him. <laughs> we're, we're, we're good. We're good. Okay. So you you did miss that the uh, the diversity that they showed with Star Trek actually started before in the original series with was exactly. it Ohuro? Ohuro is, she, is that how you say it? The um, Ohuro and yeah and um, Solo Sulu Solo sorry. Sulu yeah yeah because I mean with her it's like you didn't see black women on TV in that capacity at all. And you didn't, and especially you only saw very bad stereotypes of Asian men or Asian period on TV. They're only just kind of crafty, wily villains. And you see this guy who's an intelligent, well-processed, well-mannered, nuanced character. And um, I love the story about Ahura where she actually, the actress, Michelle Nicole, she wanted to, I probably said her name wrong, um, but she wanted to leave the show because she's like, eh, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And the person who told her not to go was actually Martin Luther King. Wow. I didn't wow. know that. Yeah. He basically, cause he, she happened to run into him at some, I think there was some event and she ran into him and he was kind of talking about, Oh, you know, my daughters, my children love your show. And then what ended up happening was she said, Oh yeah, I'm probably going to leave. And he's just like, no, you can't do it. I forbid it. <laughs> it was kind of made it awkward for a minute or so, but he said, you've opened a door. And if you leave, then it's going to be that much harder to reopen it. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's um, – well, I do know that with, with Sulu at least, um, that went a long way to healing some of the um, residual angst from, from World War II and Korea where yeah. you know both of those wars were fighting uh, Asian nations, I yeah. think. That and, and you know this Cold War with with the commies that, that helped too. But I mean, I, I do think portraying them in a positive way that was that was groundbreaking at the time. It was very much so, absolutely. So, and, and I, I do think you know for for all you know, I, I don't necessarily like the post scarcity sort of kumbaya stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not, it just doesn't seem real enough. It ignores what I think of as, is human nature. I agree. But I mean, you can't, you can't get past, you know, that, that what they did to, to culture, mm-hmm. you know? So I a hundred percent agree. I think that was one, that's one thing about star Trek that I kind of was like, 
kind of calling BS where it's just like, oh, there's no need for money. Everybody has anything. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> you know, like there's going to be, there's going to be like one thing I try to do. I haven't really focused on it, but in Star Brigade is that you have to hit a certain kind of gross domestic product or gross planetary product, if you will, to join the Galactic Union. And there's even so, there's still planets that maybe they're territories and not full members. They're not full member worlds because oh. because they haven't met that thing. So it's like, oh, you can join as a territory, but you can't be a full member world until you hit this. And even some of the member worlds are still kind of, some of them are a little poor. Maybe they're just barely making it to contribute. Um, and that's realistic because there's always going to be a plant. This, it's going to be almost kind of like when you're looking at the EU. Um, you have Germany and France who are kind of carrying, you know, I don't know the full specifics of it, but you know there are some countries that kind of aren't really, they're, they're not as prosperous as some of the other ones. And same like with the United States, there are states that aren't as prosperous as other ones. You know, you have California, you have some of the coastal states, some of them are doing great. And then some of the states that are kind of more in the middle in the south aren't doing as well. And that's kind of how I wanted to portray it with the Galactic Union. Wow. Yeah, that's um, I didn't think I, I tend to um, appreciate science fiction from the from just the surface level, but that's that's deep. What's going to really mess us up though is one of these days someone's going to say that about our writing, and I'm like, no, no, it really was just an adventure tale. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it's it's but funny, um, it's funny that you bring up the whole thing about um, not funny as in haha, but funny that you brought up the thing about kind of healing the wounds of Asian Americans because. Um, there's a species in the first two books that's featured, and they're going to be featured throughout the rest of the series, but they get a huge feature in book one and two. And their situation is very akin to what happened to Japanese Americans during World War II with the internment camps because of what oh, happened yeah. with World War II. So that actually happens. That's mirrored in some of the events in Star Brigade because something happens to Earth. I'll just tell you straight out because every, every, a lot of science fiction books, everyone's trying to destroy Earth. I'll just tell you, I destroyed Earth. Earth is gone. <laughs> humans already have already moved on to another planet by this point so it's not like every human has died but it's kind of like human humanity got destroyed and it was an accident it wasn't like oh, it was a straight up belligerent attack it got destroyed via an accident and it was only a few members of the species but maybe like a dozen and so the entire species gets blamed and they're just branded public enemy number one and they basically get carted off into internment camp so wow. yeah so it was something I mirrored. I was specifically looking at the internment campaigns that happened during World War II. All right. So um, we've also moving on from the, from the Star Trek stuff um, <laughs> because this is not the Star Trek fan show, people. That is the wrong religion. The it wrong religion. <laughs> but <laughs> so I, I'm I'm always curious where stories come from, and I noticed that um, some of the the short stories, at least from the anthology, and then what I looked at had some of the grittiness and themes that you saw in the, the modern remake of, of Battlestar Galactica mm -hmm. and, and uh, Mass Effect. And both of those were popular because it, it felt realistic. Mm -hmm. You know, none of the sunshine and rainbows. Um, <laughs> so what is it about those two uh, franchise uh, intellectual properties that inspired you? Because clearly it bled through into your writing. Oh, thank you. Um, so basically with Battlestar Galactica, it was how they treated the characters. That was the biggest thing was... The characters were flawed. Even the people who were the heroes were extremely flawed, and they made mistakes, and they did dumb things. But they were heroes, and even the villains. We got to see this is why they felt the way they did. This is why the Cylons felt so... They, were, they basically were slaves. Even though they were robots, they were treated like slaves. So they were rebelling against their oppressors and their masters. 
And this was before they got into the whole Final Five Space Juju stuff. Um, this is just when you broke down the, hey, they were fighting against a, an oppressive regime that created them and were basically shackling them. Um, so I love the character development. Like even just an episode, of, there's an episode called Scar and Battlestar Galactica where they kind of broke down the mythology. They broke down the allure of Starbuck and showed that, you know, showed her flaws more deeply than probably any other episode. Um, as for Mass Effect, I think with Mass Effect, what I loved is that it kind of gave me some inspiration with science fiction again because of how they presented their world. They presented it where a lot of times in sci-fi, and I'm guilty of this, is you know humanity is the most important and it's the bestest and it's the coolest and everyone bows down to it and everything revolves around it. But in Mass Effect, humanity is kind of like a second-tier species. They're basically JV and they're trying to be varsity. <laughs> and all the varsity play- all the varsity players are just like no 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 you need to spend a few times in soft rush before you get up to our level and i really dug that and i especially loved when you really look at some of the ways that they develop the world their world building and aliens are really really fantastically done and really well thought out like they have a species that's a monosex species which is like that's awesome um they kind of account for so many different things that have been a lot of complaints over like the span of science fiction, particularly when it comes to world building. Um, and even just the way they ca- kind of came up with the villains was really, really smart too. Like with the elusive man, you have this guy that's kind of human supremacist. Uh, I, that's what I really dug about those. Like in Mass Effect, the way I saw it was just, it made me interested in space opera in a way that Star Wars hadn't in years. Or Star Trek. Yeah. I will say, um, um, uh, riffing off what you what you said about uh, Battlestar Galactica about you know the Cylons, I actually think that's a hallmark of really moving um, science fiction, space opera specifically, is when you can look at the bad guy and you say, you know, I can kind of see where they're coming from. They're not so bad. Like that's one of the things. Like for instance, with Galaxy's Edge, like Goth Sullis is supposed to be the bad guy, but I, I'm kind of like, eh, is he really so bad? Uh, and and I felt the same way about the stormtroopers, like. I mean, you know, the, the rebels were, you know, destroying order. And, and so, yeah, the men at the top maybe were a little evil, but but is chaos the oh. answer? So I, I think that's one of the um, one of the hallmarks is when you can look at the bad guy and you can sort of see where they're coming from and, and understand that that maybe some of what they were doing, like they had a point. And that's and that's one of the big things. I um, you, You're absolutely right. That's one of the things I wanted to try and do with Star Brigade with the people who are more nuanced, the villains and even the good guys is that in their mind they're right. So every person's terrorist, it can be another person's freedom fighter. Exactly. And, and that's kind of, I don't oh, go on. Go ahead. I was just say, I don't know what that says about me that I, I um, sort of understand the position of some of these villains. I'm like, oh, okay, I can see that. Well, Maybe I need to go back to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, human nature, like even like the guy, the main villain in the first two books of Star Wars game, um, I make it so that even though his methods are very extreme, you can you can see where he's coming from. You're just like, okay, he's got a point. Even though he's not going about it the wrong way, I see why he's pissed. I see why he's fighting for his species because of how they're treated, because of this misunderstanding. So that's a, that's a key thing that I wanted to do with a lot of villains is like, this is why they're doing that. And of course, you don't want to, you know, you always want to at times have room for the mustache twirling, <laughs> you know, pontificating Bond villains. 
But uh, <laughs> and don't forget the petting the kitty cat if we want to go back to uh, Inspector Gadget. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, like even you know, even somebody like there's this villain that I'm creating. This lot, this villain that's going to be a big portion of the next couple Star Brigade books. Like he's going to be a real big kind of behind the scenes person. I'm even giving a reason. This is why he's doing what he's doing. It might feel it might feel petty. It might feel weak to some people, but in his, again, in his mind, he's right. So that's kind of the thing to sometimes consider when coming with the villains is like, why would they be doing this if it's not greed, money, power, or just wanting to conquer the universe? Well, it's out. So, um, as far as the uh, finally, as far as comparisons is concerned, at least you mentioned in the pre-show that there was a dash of Firefly mixed mm-hmm. in. So, how do you think this uh, manifests itself in your story? Is it the um, have that Western vibe? Do you think the universe? I I think with Star Brigade, um, I'd say the fringes of the galaxy have more of that Firefly vibe, and um, and I, I think you probably read in one of the in one of the short stories that you probably read in the uh, Odyssey's anthology, it was called Prey. That's kind of takes place at the kind of edge of the galaxy where you have a lot of smugglers and space pirates and bounty hunters. And so it kind of has that vibe. And that's also in Star Brigade Forsaken, uh, the novella. The team finds itself, they're hunting down a rogue scientist who's basically trying to sell his genetic uh, super soldiers to the highest bidder. And so they now find themselves, in order to get him, he's outside of, uh, he's outside of the borders of their government of their hyperpowers, I like to call them, because they have hyperspace capabilities. And so they're in now the Badlands. They're in like kind of like these lawless territories. And so we kind of get a little more of a taste of it. And I actually would love to do maybe a series. I actually do have an idea for a series that would take place in kind of the more lawless regions of this universe, because there's such a huge canvas to uh, play with when it comes to Star Brigade. And I think that would be a fun one to do. Yeah, I think they did that with um, um, Scott Moon and Craig Martell did with yes, their Dark Landing yeah. series. Sort of tackled that, that I vibe. That. And I could I could definitely see something like that fitting. Oh yeah, yeah. And your yeah, and I actually have a couple. I have a like I have an idea that depending on you know like when I get back in the Star Brigade, when I get back in the Star Brigade universe, there's definitely a series like a spinoff that I'd like to do that would definitely take place in that world. I, I definitely see room on the on the fringes of the galaxy for that. Yeah. Um, so the Star Brigade uh, series of books are clearly a series because it says so on the great and mighty Amazon. <laughs> so uh, where do you? <laughs> so yeah, um, send your money my way, please, Mister Bezos. Um, so you have four books out in the series. So what's next for these characters? Do you gonna are you gonna wrap them up and move on to different characters in the universe? Are you gonna come back to the main characters from the the? Um, landing ship series what's what's going to happen next do you think so the plan next is i'm going to go back to the main series i'm going to go back to the main characters because there's still a lot of story to tell so i got a i got a number of books still in me um but i definitely want to do at least i don't want to commit <laughs> i don't want to commit out loud but i definitely have um a number of books still in it because there's a there's definitely it, i'd say as far back as the first book um, there is a longer narrative that I want to at least tell to its fruition. And that's going to take maybe a couple more books to do. So I want to at least reach that number. Like it's several books. It's not just one. It's several books. And so I'd say I want to at least get to that and then I can be like, okay, depending on how things are still going, then I either keep going or call it a day. Oh, 
Okay. Okay. So we know that every universe has its own set of rules uh-huh. and its own uh, internal consistency. Uh-huh. Um, do you plan on adding adding on anything new? Ray guns, teleporters. <laughs> I do have. Um, te- I do have teleporting. Yep. I do have that. But yeah, alien I- probes. <laughs> 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 well, actually, <laughs> I definitely am going to con- add uh, some more to the universe. I actually, in book four, I introduce alternate universes to the universe. So there definitely will be a book and there'll definitely be a story that takes place primarily in an alternate universe that is parallel to the main universe. And I also want to, I also tell people that just because we're seeing things happening in the star brigade universe, just because it's the main one you're seeing doesn't mean it's the main universe particularly. Cause that's one thing. That, oh. That's one thing that a lot of people do. It's like, Oh, well this is the prime universe period. And I was like, what if it's not? What if it's just a derivative? Oh, what if we're not? Yeah, what if we're not? What if it's a derivative? And that's kind of what I'm oh, cool. Yeah. Because um, I'm never going to sleep again. <laughs> because there was one thing that happened in book two, four where, without confusing the audience too much, he uh, we encounter a couple different alternate universe versions of the main character. Um, we see one that's similar to him, and then we see one that's gender reversed. Oh. Yeah. Like Starbuck. I see what I did there. <laughs> well, it's actually, it's uh, it's like, what if, and actually it's weird because I got this idea from a Batman Superman comic book where it was getting really weird and crazy, but it was a universe where everyone was gender reversed. It was the same as the main one, but everything was gender reversed. And I was just like, Ooh, that'd be really awesome. Chris, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> you, get a little, you get a little too into this, Chris. <laughs> Insert heavy breathing here. <laughs> all right so um are you ever are you chris this was the next question was your question you added that to the interview template okay so chris chris has this fear that he's gonna write enough books oh, that he's gonna yeah. get invited to a panel one of these days and then he's gonna get there and some uh uber fan is gonna be like tell me about so-and-so and he's gonna have no clue what they're talking about <laughs> so do you ever worry about that as, you, as your universe starts growing and you go to your first comic-con panel and they're gonna be like so tell me about bob and you're gonna have that deer in the headlights look and go bob <laughs> what what bob? right so when bob did this thing and and it was really important to the story and I'm thinking, uh, luckily, luckily, which story was luckily that? I have a, I have a pretty good memory. So hopefully that won't happen where I can just be like, what? Oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that like, if that happens, I, I welcome it. Cause I love it when the fans like have that deep knowledge. That'd be awesome. I'd love it. So, so I don't have to worry about that because with my t- uh, traumatic brain injury from overseas, I have a horrible memory anyway, and that's like part of my branding is that I'm a, that I'm a veteran writing military science fiction. So if I'm gonna be like, uh, I don't remember what I ate for breakfast, bro. Sorry, I, there's a reason I keep good notes. Like people are just gonna <laughs> roll with it. Chris does not have that excuse yeah, unless he decides to get blown up 27 times. Please don't, Chris. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, I wouldn't recommend it. But other than that, I had a blast in Iraq. Oh, boom! Blast! All right. <laughs> well, see, I I can't tell that joke at home anymore because they've heard it a million times. They don't laugh anymore, but you haven't, so I'm cold. <laughs> they're just like oh. the, they're like the horse's dad. Stop! Put the stick down. Yeah, basically, <laughs> they're like, Dad, come on, write write new jokes. You got to do better. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is this serious? Other than the anthologies, um, is this a series you see um, having room to expand with other authors, or are you keeping this one all to yourself? 
Um, I think, you know what, if the demand is there to see more, I would be more than happy to do that. I'd love to do it. Like, cause I actually, I see definitely some spinoffs and some expansion, but if there's definitely um, a desire to do more, if there's a desire and there's an interest from the readers, cause I think ultimately at the end of the day, even though as much as I love my own stuff, if the readers aren't interested in seeing it, then, you know, <laughs> don't want to go out there. But um, if so, then I wouldn't, I would be happy to work with a co-author. I've never done it before, but uh, it'd be cool to check that out. I'd love it. Cool. Yeah. All right. So this book has aliens in it, as okay. you've mentioned. So how do you come up with them? Do you let, do you let nature inspire you? You try to create the aliens from whole cloth? <laughs> whole cloth. Um, I, I think it's a combination of nature and nature is really, really key because you're just like, I mean, imagine how they see us. We're probably alien to them. Um, but yeah, I kind of look at um, just nature and I try to look at just, I'd say even look at other universes, kind of be like, I don't want to make it where it's just like, hey, this is just a walking cat and that's it. Or this is just a walking lizard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like even just like, let's have an uh, alien. Like for instance, I just came up with an alien that it's basically has, it has three feet and then it has like one kind of trunk like thing coming out of its chest and that's its arm appendage. I, I could see that. See the, the problem with science fiction when you're creating aliens is that if true aliens, I don't think we're going to be able to imagine. So when we go yeah. to aliens and we say they're cat-like or like a cat, you know, mated with a, a kangaroo or something like we do that. So the listener, the listeners, the readers can, can have something as a starting point. Right. Yeah, so I mean, I get like a frame of reference. And so that's the hard part with science fiction because so much of it, you're making up from whole cloth. And, and on the other hand, you do want to try to, you know, not brag about your diploma from hand waving you. You'd like to try to be as close to reality <laughs> as, as possible. So like there is that delicate balance of like, on the one hand, you want them to be able to envision it, but on the other, you do want to try to, you know, come up with something new. Yeah, you and so I, 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 that, that question always fascinates me with, with aliens and science. Well, fiction. I definitely try not to do the start, no offense to Star Trek, but I definitely don't try to do the Trekkie thing where it's just, Oh, it's a humanoid with a ridge on their nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's because the budget was low, yeah. and um, Shatner asked for a oh, lot. I'm sure he did. So. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have <laughs> I have humanoids in Star the Star Brigade universe, but I also try to make it where it's like, let's make the aliens look a little alien. Let's maybe have them have a couple different arms. Let's have them maybe look a little more insectoid. Let's maybe have them not be the typical aesthetic that we usually see where oh this is humanoid because a lot of times you go with oh well if we're going to make this hot alien chick she's got to be humanoid um i remember this one short hmm. story because one thing i actually try to do is at times when i'm developing a character like a new character or even just an existing character sometimes i'll write like short stories that kind of deal with their backstory or kind of a short story that kind of takes place in between the books and i think this one i wrote about this kind of um species that's known to kind of be kind of a kind of a, a, a very sexually evolved sexual metamorph species, and they're not really attractive at all. They're not humanoid attractive, and but the thing is, is that it's about body language. It's about their empathic ability. It's pheromones, and so they can like seduce any species they want if they want to, because they can also adapt their sexual metamorphs. It's kind of like um, that episode of Star Trek. Where they had, it was the first time any man had seen Fomka Jensen. Everyone's just like, oh my God, who's that? And it was the one where she and Picard fell in love, and she was like, all the guys were like falling for her. Like, she even almost got war. You remember that? 
<laughs> I, I, vag- I, I vaguely remember. So, so my the reason I think that you could argue credibly on Star Trek's defense about the humanoid is there are certain evolutionary things that would make sense that yeah. you would evolve. So, yeah. opposable thumbs and, and you know standing up yeah. bipedal. And so, on that respect, I get what they were trying to do. Like that makes sense from a, from a biologically evolutionary yeah. point of view. But but that doesn't necessarily mean they're all going to develop with. You know, two hands, two uh, only two. Well, maybe two legs, but that doesn't mean that they're going to have the two hands and 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 the breast and and all the things that make humans look like humans. Like that doesn't necessarily always have to follow. So, and that's the one thing where they they cut short. But I think part of that was budget, and part of that was you know when Star Trek was developing at least the original series, they had a lot more oversight about what was considered appropriate for TV. And there was like three networks at that point. Right. And so, so that limited the creation of a universe from the get go. So, I mean, I, I, I can give them a little bit of credit for, for what they did with yeah, what no, they had right. to work you're with. You're absolutely right. I agree. So, but, but I agree with you that not everything necessarily is going to look like, yeah, you know, you're humans. not a sexy humanoid like the Orion. Mm-hmm. Right. But somehow Kirk always finds them and, 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 you know, tries to make half breed, you know, yeah, non human yeah. babies. <laughs> yeah. he's, a, he's a rabbit, he's a human rabbit. Okay. That, that guy is <laughs> so, uh, so so moving on so i've skimmed the reviews like i always do they help the right readers find the right book so dear listener please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms that'd be amazon goodreads or wherever else you buy the books um so your first book has 336 reviews and that is after the great and mighty amazon purge of book reviews which is impressive yeah, yeah. so um, when you go through the negative reviews uh when, we, when you look through them you see the only real complaint that they articulate because you know a lot of it's like did not like thor not hungry now um you know they're, they're kind of monosyllable you know they don't really tell you anything other than they have a star and some words in them mm-hmm. um so when you go through the negative reviews the only real complaint of the book was that is a slow build-up which i actually i don't mind i, I enjoy a slow mm-hmm. burn um, yeah. so admittedly I'm, I'm a little biased but i am aware that these type of books can turn certain readers off in, in an age where everyone has a short attention mm-hmm. span so if you had it to do again would you jump right into the action or would you would you keep the slow burn because I think that's a little bit of your style. Like you, you, you do that. I do actually. I do um, actually. Um, I think with. Uh, I think it's a good, uh, really good question. I think I'd probably tighten it up a little more. I probably would keep most of the build, but I'd tighten. I'd probably tighten it up a bit more because I'd want to like, hey, let's jump more into things right now. Because I can get where people are coming from, where it's just like, okay, where's this going? Da, 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 da. But sometimes. It's about it's sometimes the journey is better than just finding out right away. Do you want to find out right away what happens? Like I remember it was funny because um, I actually do read I read my negative reviews and because um, I think you know despite other than the ones where the person is just doesn't like it and there's nothing you could do, sometimes you can learn a lot and be like, hey, okay, I never thought of it like that. It's good to know for next time. Um, but I'd I'd probably just tighten it up a little more, but I keep most of the build. I'd probably tighten it up by about. 25% maybe. Yeah, I actually, that's where I learned about the right readers to the right books. That really hit home when, when I first got my first book out, I'm like, oh, I've got to do a blog tour. I, this was, you know, 2016. <laughs> you got to do a blog tour. You got to get people to write book reviews. So, you know, when I started my blog, it was just any follower was a good follower. I wasn't really targeting. So mm-hmm. I had a romance reader who primarily reads romance or fantasy read because, you know, we, we were, you know, digital friends. She read and wrote a review and gave me three stars with the premise at the beginning. This isn't what I normally read. And I'm like, oh, I probably should have found sci-fi readers. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think I think some of it is just, you know, knowing what you're getting into. Exactly. And that's, that's why the reviews matter because, you know, they're 
have been plenty of times where the one star book reviews sold it. And I'm like, this is uh, what they call it uh, military splatter porn. I'm like, oh, dude, sign me up. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sold. That's all I need. I don't even read the blurb. How much splatter? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I remember with an interview with David Weber when he was talking about, I don't want to write that. And I'm like, what's wrong with that? I'll read that any day and twice on Sunday. <laughs> but um, so. So speaking of, of reviews, um, the, the more positive ones mentioned that the, the premise was engaging, especially that superhero-esque vibe in, in the sci-fi setting. So how do you balance crafting that level of magic with the superheroes with your goal of trying to have this be you know, more grounded in science? It's, it's all about the characters. I think most importantly is making the characters actually you know, nuanced and making them three-dimensional. I think if you're just making them like live action figures, then it wouldn't work as well. But I think making them have their motivations, their doubts, their drives, their fears, their hates, their loves, and giving them kind of having bonds between them as well. Not just them individually, but how is their how 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 do they connect with their fellow teammates or the people around them? And I think that's that if you can't relate to the character, if you can't get behind their story. It doesn't matter how awesome your world is. And that was something that I always liked. And I think that's one of the reasons I gravitated. I'm going to go comic book here. Um, I always gravitated more towards Marvel stories than DC stories is because the, the Marvel characters are always more grounded in reality. And despite some of their powers, they, especially X-Men, like X-Men, the world hated and feared them, as they told us 10 million times. And a lot of them came from such damage but they're still trying to fight the good fight. They still believed in this dream. And with Star Brigade, I make it so it's like you have a lot of, some of these characters have come from really screwed up backgrounds, but they're all here now. And they're kind of a weird kind of, I wouldn't say dysfunctional family, but they're this family, this mishmash of different characters who who have been molded into a team that are trying to protect the Galactic Union, that's the name of the main government, um, as best as they can. Despite their issues, they're overcoming some of their deficiencies and their deficits as people or as characters. And that's kind of what I'm aiming for with them. Because that's how it works, is making them, even if they're kind of superheroes, you make them real. And you make it it relatable. So it's like, okay, I can see myself in this. I can see that issue. I can see why he did that. I can see why that villain did that. Or if a hero makes a misstep or they do something that's a little... Oh, that was a little far. I can see where they're coming from there because we know their history. Okay. Hmm. You're giving these deep answers. So um, I, I like that. The um, Continuing with the reviews, this is the last question where we talk about the reviews, I promise people, but I, I find this fascinating. <laughs> so one of the... Um, one of the other major themes, I think, in the reviews that were the four and the five stars, I actually, for negatives, I count one and two as negative. Three, uh, you know, depending on the individual review, and then four and five, I generically call positive. But but reading mm-hmm. through, I didn't read through all 336 of them. Fair discounting. I, I, only, I, I read about 30 in each in each, ra- ra- um, each category. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, how do you, they all mentioned that you had the pacing, that you got the pacing right for each novel. So how do you manage that, uh, with each series? Because each series has to kick it up a notch from each book in a series has to kick it up a notch from the last book, but then you still have to pace it within the novel. So how do you think you're going to balance that without, you know, losing, losing control of the, the dragon, your, your, whose tail you're hanging on to for dear life? I, I'll have to admit with book one, books one and two, I got really lucky. Um, I think it's just, I just, I just had the story I wanted to tell and 
fortunately, even though I had to kind of tighten it up and change it once I got a new ebook, I got really lucky that I had this really great story that I wanted to tell. But I think the big thing for me was when I started plotting, when I started doing outlining, and again, I know not everyone's a plotter. I just happen to be a plotter. That's what really helped me so I could kind of see the story in advance and be like, oh, okay, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. And just kind of seeing in my, it's seen in advance and putting it on paper. This is where everything's happening. Okay, I can move this ahead here. I can move that ahead here. <clears throat> and then what makes it even better? And when you're a writer, and I think once you started writing to a certain, once you started writing for a certain amount of time, sometimes even if you plotted something out, when you're actually in the thick of things in your writing, something will change. And you're just like, eh, what if I don't do that? What if I do something different? And it's yeah. trusting your gut. When you get to that point when you're writing something and you plotted it out and then you actually get to that part and you just feel differently, like the characters or the story or the characters are taking you in a different direction or you can just sense, uh, okay, I'm running a little long in the tooth in that direction. Let me either cut that out or let me move that to a different part of the story. I actually had one of those moments like a couple of days ago with this current story I'm writing. And I think sometimes when it comes to that, when it comes to pacing, you have that template, you have that base when it comes to the plot or the outline of the story structure, especially. But um, for me, it's a matter of trusting your gut. And if you feel uh, the story, this is not going to work in the story right now, or this isn't going to work anymore. You just have to trust it and go with it and trust yourself. And that's kind of what I've been doing when it comes to the pacing, if that helps. It does. It does. It's it's fascinating. I mean, we try to keep this uh, geared towards uh, the readers because there's plenty of how to write podcasts out there. Mm -hmm. uh, we know we listen to several of them, but so that that's good. I do know that if you if you want to be sold on the value of plotting versus pantsing, get blown up 27 times, you will be a believer. I'm telling you, because because sometimes I'm like, what was the main character's name again? So so I definitely I feel you. So it's kind of an all. You, so I don't recommend kind of it. It's an all you need is kill situation. Live. Live, die, repeat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. So, so I don't know if your books have been out long enough or if they, if they have enough traction yet, but have you been approached for any other kind of media such as role-playing games, movies, or video I've games? I've been approached for, I think, a comic book. Yeah. Um, I think with that, in that regards, I, I wanted to – the reason I kind of delayed that is because I wanted to see if there was, I, I don't know if there's as much demand from the readers. That's the only reason why. Because I definitely, <coughs> definitely would love to see my book as a comic book, but I was thinking to myself, is there really a demand from the readers to see that? Because if there is, I would do it in a heartbeat. So I think um, once I jump back into the Star Brigade series and there is that demand or like the fan base continues to grow, then I'll be like, hell yeah, I'll totally do a comic book. I mean, that's one of the things that got me into writing was comic books. So, of course. Yeah. Right. I was thinking exactly. that. Exactly. No, no, no. Hold, hold on just a cotton pick in second. All right. Everybody knows that comic books are for kids. They're graphic novels now. Yeah, it's like tricks, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if you don't get that, you need to hit the Google machines because we're showing our age. I know. <laughs> it, it, you know Silly, right? It was also it was so funny. It was almost kind of like, um, I don't know if you guys saw the Captain Marvel trailer that dropped today. But um, so basically. Oh, no. I did. I did. So there's a scene that involves a blockbuster video. And I'm sure a lot of the kids who probably saw the trailer are just probably asking their parents, oh. Mommy, Daddy, what's a blockbuster video? <laughs> 
Because <laughs> <laughs> it was before the days of yeah. Netflix. Way before the days of Netflix. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. I think. I think. And of course, when we say the silly rabbit, some of the people that are older than us are going to be thinking about entirely different rabbits. Oh, I was thinking of uh, what's it? The white rabbit might be uh, more apropos. Oh, oh, Peter. Oh, Alice. Alice. Not getting the reference. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and if I meant something else, I'm wow. going to smile and nod here. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. <laughs> nice. Nice. Very cool. All right. Since you've written a novel in the space opera subgenre, what's your biggest pet peeve when you read other books in this category? Uh, not okay. mentioning any specific names. What do you see that, I that they're doing wrong. wrong? I mean, because people write what they know. They write what they, they write what they know. They write what they're passionate about. So I wouldn't say wrong. I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the proctor of all things space opera. I'm just a big fan. Um, I would say something that I, I, a bit of a pet peeve, um, a lack of diversity in their characters, uh, because this is the future and there's no diversity and, or if there are aliens, the aliens are evil and they want to destroy earth for some reason. Why always earth? <laughs> it's like, why always, why do you just want to destroy earth just because? like it do you ever do you watch a lot of youtube videos because uh we, we're cutting you know cutting cable so i watch a lot of youtube videos um there's a that's why the one destroys yeah YouTube. probably but there's a there's a youtube channel <laughs> called generation tech which puts out a lot of funny um you know nerd dumb type videos and one of the jokes they've got going through their entire um um theme was humanity first and that's they make merch for it um um, for for funding, and so you've seen the coexist sign with all the oh, religion things. You know, I have seen that. Like they, I think they, I've seen one of those. They, they play off of that with like humanity mm-hmm. first. That's awesome. <laughs> it's it's you hilarious. Know, it's funny. I actually do have in my series. I actually do have a human supremacy group. Okay. I, I will say oh, that okay. one of the things that I, I love, you know, I, I like to see, you know, all kinds of characters and mm. cultures and stuff, but it, it has to feel like it fit the book and not like you're shoehorning and it I in and checking the box. That. That's a huge thing. Like, I no, I, I didn't get, I didn't get that from your, from the, um, the anthology that I read. I, I just know that that's a, a pet peeve of mine. It's like, oh, I've got this character who's six foot four and can bench press a house, but suddenly we're going to make <laughs> her a woman. Like, eh, I mean, unless you can explain how she got that big in science fiction, you can certainly do that. And that's the, the great yeah. thing about science fiction is that what they say, God gave, made man and Sam Colt made him equal. Well, in science fiction, power armor <laughs> makes women equal. Or you know too. what? You can make you know? her an alien that comes from a matriarchy where the women are stronger. Yeah. That can work too. Um, yeah, I, that can work too. Yeah, that's kind of – I actually wrote for for one of mm. my aliens in uh, in my Sleeping Legion yeah. stuff the uh, a matriarchal um, um, evil rabbit because it, I, I started writing that that scene around Easter and I'm like oh let's make an evil <laughs> rabbit <laughs> nice. nice yeah I think I think yeah, even really. like I'll give you an um, huh. I back to kind of what you're saying I'd say another thing too is um, this is something I notice is a problem is or not necessarily a problem. Well, yeah, the pro- okay, a problem. Um, I'd say for the aliens, if you're going to do an alien, don't just do one subspecies. Do multiple subspecies, just like with humans or like with animals on this planet. And a lot of times they'll have, like, the alien is just, they look the same, they dress the same. There's literally no nuance between any other member of the species. 
And I remember that was something they did with the Yuzon Vong and start like I'm I'm gonna go uh, EU Legends with Star Wars here. That's something that they did with the e, with the Yuzon Vong species in the New Je- Jedi Order series. Is they had different casts and different types of Yuzon Vong, almost kind of like with ants, where it's like they have like the worker ants, they have right. the guardian ants, they have the queen ants, and that's kind of what they do with the Yuzon Vong, where they had all these different types. They had the shapers, they had the warriors. Obviously, they had something in common where they all were very much this very masochistic you know self-mutilating species but at the same time there was deviations between each of the different castes or ethnicities and that's something we uh a a lack of when it comes to a lot of space opera yeah i can see that so diversity among the aliens too so not all of each race look and sound and think the same i I agree with that so they i that's one of the things you see where they'll have like their race X and all X are afraid of the dark. Well, what about that? You know, that one guy who just wants to be different and you don't yeah, get a lot of that. You're right. And that's something yeah. I'm trying to like, I can feel you there. Star Brigade. That's something I've tried to do with the species is because I saw myself going down that path and I was just like, Oh, let me try and do a deviation here just so there's like a different diversity within these alien species. Cause that's important to show as well. Wow. Okay, so besides yourself, um, who does space opera right? I'd say who I like. <laughs> I don't want to say who does space opera right. <laughs> who does who who does space opera that I like? I'd say <laughs> I've read, even though I need to read more of his books. Uh, I've read Josh Dalzal. I read the first book in his Omega Force series. He does a great job. His was really really fun and exciting. I really liked his book. Have you guys heard of Josh Dalzal? That's, that's I have, but I can't with. pronounce his name. I'm to going save to my Dalzal, life, so. I think that's it. Hopefully that's right. Um, I'd say also Nick Webb writes really, really great science fiction. Um, One of the great things that he does with his books, I've read two books in his original Legacy Fleet series, and the great thing that he does is that he he has a cliffhanger at the end of every single chapter. So I got to the point where I was just like, I got, okay, just one more chapter. Okay, just one more chapter. Okay, just one more. I got to see what's going on. And he does, he's fantastic at doing. I, I really like yeah. his stuff was really gripping. Um, see who else do I really like? I need to read more people. That's that's a problem. Is that a lot of times like I need I, I want to read more people who are kind of like that I know first and foremost. Um, who else is really good? Oh, you know who else is really good? Um, I'd say Michael A. Stackpole. You know him? So the, I read some of his I've heard books, of him because oh, he did I've the heard, X-wing series. The that was the one thing that like that was one of the series. Yeah, that was him. And I love that I also series. Read his, I think the book of his that was my favorite was I Jedi. And I loved it because it was a, one of the first time. It, actually, I'd read first person before, but it was a first person Star Wars book, which had not been done before. And it, it was, the main character wasn't one of the big three. It wasn't one of the main characters that we see in a lot of Star Wars stuff. And that's that's the best stuff in the universe when they oh, didn't go with oh, yeah. you know Luke and Han and whatever and when they branched thing, out that's where the, the that's where the gold is book, it was a huge huge inspiration when I was crafting my main character because one of the things about my main character he's an ex fighter pilot so there'll be certain scenes within the book where he's actually kind of doing these turns and you know he'll sometimes kind of go back and do these turns with the ship that they have to kind of fight off the bad guys that they're doing who are if it's a, it's a dog fight and just reading that book, the way he kind of talked about it, like, I don't know if he's a former fighter pilot, but he just, the way he does space dog fights is so engaging. Like he's great. 
he's awesome. Um, Pierce Brown does also great um, space opera. He does the Red Rising series. I would definitely recommend him to anyone. The guy is so talented, it's disgusting when he writes. <laughs> I praise um, if you're yeah, disgusting. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think um I honestly want to I really do need to read more people, like read more of the kind of folks that I know, like the indie authors. Not just to support it because I am I'm curious like some people I was like, "Oh, I want to see what he's writing." Um but yeah, I, there's someone there's some other people I'm forgetting. Like there's a couple people I've read and I was like, "Ooh, he's great," but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah. It's old age. And it happens. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so. yeah, the old age of 38, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you also set, set your story in the military science fiction subgenre. So within the subgenre, what is your biggest pet peeve without mentioning any specific books? Um, unless it's set in the future, um, some, of these, some of these military sci-fi where it's just like they attack Earth present day, more often than not, if an alien species has the technology, the military tech, and the weaponry to come to Earth, we would not stand a chance. We would get wiped out. We would get obliterated. There's no way we'd be able to withstand them, unless we're talking about the future, where Earth is actually, you know, has his militarized space, has colonized different planets. Like, there is no way that would actually happen. So, well, you can get around that. A lot of people get around that when you've got the, oh, we found this alien technology buried at Area 51 or whatever, which, I mean, the premise can be done. It's it's definitely a trope, but uh, but you have to make it believable. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and I think that's the thing. is that I, I think it's when you've seen so many of them, it's just like, oh, my God, again. There's uh-huh. one um, – there's one I can't remember the Andrew no um, McKay no McGinnis McGinnis is the guy's name but he wrote the junkyard ship uh, series Mark, Mark McGinnis Mark McGinnis yes that that's one who I think did it right for for that trope right yeah I I'd like to read it. I think I have one or two of his books I need to read them yeah <laughs> he was the first author I saw um, that did um, so like if you go on his ebook and you click some of the li- there'll be links at the top mm-hmm. and then he had somebody sketch out like a floor plan of the book bo- of the ship and then you could click mm-hmm. the link and see an image it would jump you somewhere on the web that would be like a actual like schematics of the ship and you could toil around and then go back and oh, okay so this is where they are which I thought was kind of cool oh that's awesome that's actually really good uh, it probably cost him a lot of money if he couldn't do it himself <laughs> yeah probably yep. uh, this is this is this is where your sketching ability could come in you if you ever start your own wiki, you could like sketch out the various aliens and give people visual references. That I could do, but um, I'm glad I don't do that for my covers. I actually I'm like I'd rather pay somebody who's way better than me and does it for a living. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, but I do see what you're saying. But that'd actually be really cool. So, who do you think does a good job in military sci-fi? Who's your favorite? It's weird because at times military sci-fi and space opera can bleed together. So. Sometimes one is not as pure as we'd like. Um, yeah. You know who I actually like? Um, I thought it was really well done was James S.A. Corey. And I know that's two people. But um, I really liked what they did. I read the first. I, it was Leviathan Wakes. So that was actually a really good book. Okay. Yeah, the um, the Expanse series? Yes. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, the Expanse series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was actually – I read only the first book but I really liked what they were doing with the universe. It, it was more space opera, but there definitely was some military, particularly with the war between, it was like a three-way war between the Belters, Mars, and Earth. 
and over this proto molecule. But yeah, I thought that was a real that was well done, well done stuff. I do need to read yeah, more sci-fi was... though. Well, I always recommend to everybody the um, the Galaxy's Edge stuff or the Ember Wars. So uh, Ember Wars is by Richard Fox, and the Galaxy's Edge was Jason Ansbach and Nick Cole. Those are some good stuff. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely going to jump on the Galaxy's Edge for. I yeah, since I have so many now, I'm just like I'm dialed in. I gotta start reading those. I actually, it's funny. I'm actually the one I'm reading right now. Once I finish Golden Sun and the Red Rising series, um, the one book I do want to jump in, and I think it's just because of the genre I'm writing right now is, um, have you guys heard of Shane Silver? No. So Shane Silver, he doesn't write sci-fi at all. He writes urban fantasy. And um, basically his series, he has a series called The Nate Temple Chronicles. And it's, the thing sells like gangbusters. And just looking at the reviews, I think almost all of the books have like 4.7, like star books. And mind you, these are like hundreds of reviews. So yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I got to check that out. That's why I was curious to kind of read that first, and then I'll probably want to deep dive back into that sci-fi. Okay. Well, I mean, you got to get your inspirations everywhere. And the more broadly you read, the more um, you stand out when you write your own stuff because you're not just a carbon copy of everyone else. So, no, that's it's totally what, understandable. That's uh, what um, Joss Whedon actually said. I remember him saying, like, to fill up your tank. And it doesn't matter where that comes from. is to fill up your tank. And it makes your stuff better. Yep. Yeah. All right. So finally, you've uh, you've placed this in the superhero science fiction category. Uh, what, what is it about exploring the unknown reaches of human potential that appeals to you as an author and as a reader? It's that kind of it's that escapist fantasy. Like, what if? What if humans could achieve evolve to this level? What if humans could have these abilities? What would they do with it? Would you have somebody who kind of goes rogue and breaks bad? and decides to use their power for greed or conquest? Or do you have somebody who actually wants to use their power in service? And, you know, these are just the people who are powerful enough because you sometimes will have somebody with powers that maybe it doesn't make them, it kind of disfigures them. Or maybe their power is makes them a danger. Um, I'm actually doing a situation in the next book where somebody close to one of the main characters manifest their abilities and they don't really have it's very volatile and they don't know how to control so it's fascinating looking at these different spectrums um the spectrum i usually look at is let's see these characters with these powers and not only let's show the nuances of these powers so it's not even just doing okay here's the offensive thing boom they do this and that's it what if you have somebody with sonic abilities they can unleash like a sonic blast what are the side powers or the secondary powers that can be used from that we can make them like, oh, they can almost kind of be like a sonar, or they can just send sound vibrations off their body. Or if we're going to go real, real full into their deepest potential, what if they can create a singularity because they can produce radio waves, kind of like a black hole? So kind of having fun with that. Yes, exactly. So black hole resonances are kind of like radio waves. What if they can use that and create a singularity? So they can not only suck people in, maybe they can teleport. So it's seeing to the fullest of their potential. Wow. Okay. Well, I could tell you that if people really had superpowers, there would be a lot of people abusing them. You don't yes. spend a weekend in an infantry barracks and not realize that. Like, you know, for instance, the flame, there's no reason, he, there's no way in heck he's not out there with his buddies lighting farts on fire. I'm sorry, you're not going to sell me. Right? Like, like just, you, you got to, you know, that inner, channel your inner 13-year-old and you'll, you'll understand what's going to go wrong 
when, <laughs> when people have these powers. And, the, so, and, it, but, and it's funny that you say that because there is in the Star Brigade books, you do have um, groups, even within the government, within the military around Star Brigade that realize these are living, breathing, walking weapons of mass destruction and they need to be handled with care and maybe they need to be controlled or put on a tighter leash. So that's another thing that the team will have to build. Yeah, fair enough. All right. And so the, the, the next question for that follow-up is um, with those, uh, with such super powers, um, are, see, let me back up. Chris, you're going to edit that out in post, right? Totally. <laughs> this, that, that needs to be a t-shirt. Like you're going to edit that out in post, right? But anyway, because um, we, we really, really need to update the merch store. But anyway, so are those with such superpowers truly human anymore or have they become something else, do you think? I'd say somewhere in between. Some of them are the ones that are human, I should say. The ones that are human, um, they are kind of like homo sapiens superior, if you will, kind of like in the X-Men. They're like homo sapiens superior. So they're kind of like a next evolution of humanity. They're still humanity. They're still human, but they're definitely another level of humanity that we have not seen yet. And we're seeing in this future. Okay. So um, before we move on to the wrap-up section, was there anything about the Star Brigade series that we didn't ask you that you wanted to tell us before we moved on? Um, let's see here. I would say with, when it comes to Star Brigade, it's, um, we're just getting started. Okay. Much okay. more to come. Wow. All right. That's it. That's encouraging. So uh, enough about your book, CC. Shameless plugging is over. So what are you reading in the genre? And obviously, since we've been talking, you've listed a lot of authors and a lot of series. So what's the one thing you've got queued up on your Kindle right now or your, you know, Dead Tree edition? <laughs> so what I'm reading right now, I'm reading um, Golden Sun, which is book two in the Red Rising series. And excuse me, uh, queued up after that is queued up after that is Obsidian Sun. A lot of sun situations. I don't know why. It's not on purpose. Uh, that's the first book in the Nate Temples Chronicle. I'm going to read that probably after I finish Golden Sun. And I definitely would like to dive into the Galaxy's Edge series. I'm not just saying it just to say it. It's just because you're here. Um, I actually am interested in seeing that. You actually reminded me. Like, so I want to get into a Legionnaire. I got that on my it's, that's it's, it's solid stuff. Although I will say that you got to be careful when you listen to the audio version. Um, Ray, was it Ray Bradbury? Am I getting that name right? Um, R.C. Bray. R.C. Bray. There we go. I knew there was an R in there somewhere. That was way off. Mm -hmm. Not even close, Chris. You can't even give me that <laughs> one. But uh, the narrator did such a good job. Like, seriously, when I first started listening to it, I'm like, nope, having flashbacks. Going to listen to it later. I hear that guy is just fantastic. I've never listened to any of his books yet, but I just, from any person, like any of the sci-fi indie authors, anytime like they mention his name, it's like with such hallowed reverence. Right? So he must be really He's good. good. He really is. I, I, I bought other books on Audible just because he was narrating them. Wow. Okay. I'll have to listen to one of his Audible things one time. So uh, what about you, Chris? What are you reading? You still uh, on the James Peter book? Yep, James Peters, Black Swan Planet. That could be fun. It's uh, it's got um, monkeys and assless chaps, and it's a humor SF book. Just one, just okay, one, not plural. Well, so far <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> right. And yes, the rest of the book is just like that. Fair warning. He's uh, he's having way too much fun with this. Uh, I, I don't know what that what that says about him. <laughs> 
So and, and, uh, <laughs> speaking of the Galaxy's Edge, I just started book seven, um, and, and it's it's really, really good. I'm, I, I had to put it down. I was like, no, I don't want it to end. But luckily, book eight is already on my Kindle, and book nine is coming out at the end of the month. Oh, and that sweet. wraps up the main series, and then there's all the spinoffs. <laughs> So, uh, finally, uh, we like to remember the science that makes science fiction fun. So, are there any new scientific breakthroughs or uh, that you're excited about or following? I, I'd say that one of the things that I, I really like seeing, it would be great to start seeing space exploration again. I mean, it would be great to start seeing that. In terms of our scientific breakthroughs, I, I'm not as, I haven't kept as abreast on that as I'd like to. Um, I remember one time I saw that they were working on teleportation, but it was like at a, like a, <laughs> it was at a subatomic level. But, um, I think for me, like one of the things would be nice to see is to see space travel again, not just sending probes out, but actually sending men. And, and men and Did men. you watch, go ahead. Just men on Mars and whatnot. Yeah. Did you did you watch Elon Musk's show yep. um, about uh, Dear Moon and all that with uh, the artist that bought the uh, first um, space shuttle civilian one? I did not. Was that the one where he got blunted up? No, no, no. That's the interview I think he did with Joe Rogan. Um, but this is um, – he did an announcement where they showed the improved civilian model of the BFG, the big Falcon rocket. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they, they – the first person um, – a Japanese millionaire, billionaire, probably billionaire, trillionaire, maybe if he can afford it. But he basically sponsored the first trip, and he's going to take eight, six to eight other artists into space with him for a week mm-hmm. um, to inspire them because he's 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 a big proponent that art will change the world, mm-hmm. and so he really believes that you know what could all of these great masters have done if they had you know stood in space and seen the the sunset or you know what I mean like all, all the. I don't know, existential sort of what if questions about what could have happened had they been able to experience this. So it was pretty moving. They just uh, unveiled all that last night. So oh, I was glued and so was Chris. Okay. Well, that's awesome, man. That sounds really good. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> and he's doing uh, the, uh, the, the, the rich guy. I can't remember his name. Uh, he owns a company called Zozo and um, Z-O-Z-O. Mm-hmm. And he's doing a, um, a competition to see which artists go with him. Oh, that's amazing. So... I thought that was because he mentioned some of the ones that inspired him who have passed away and, you know, what could they have created had they seen all this stuff? It was, it was pretty, pretty impressive stuff. And, and, and as far as we know, as far as we know, Elon was so <laughs> That's amazing. That's really cool. So what about you, Chris? What are you excited by? Well, there's an article that says uh, the last Delta II rocket launches NASA satellite to maps to map Earth's ice with a space laser. This seems like a really bad idea. Yeah, no way that's, that's going badly. Really bad. I don't <laughs> right. know if you thought that was a good idea. Yeah, we've, we, we have some really nice cameras. We now have 4K resolution. There's all kinds of ways to map Earth's ice, and they're going to do it with a freaking laser idea. beam. So, so from the article, the launch of NASA's Ice Cloud and Land Elevation Satellite 2, or the ICESAT 2, because NASA likes coming up with catchy acronyms, marked the unprecedented 100th successful flight to the Delta II rockets built by the United Launch Alliance, which over the course of 30, year, 30 years lofted the first GPS satellites, deployed commercial telecommunication constellations, and sent NASA robotic probes to explore and study the moon, Mars, and asteroids. For its 155th and final mission, the Delta II flew its 7420-10 configuration, outfitted with four graphite epoxy motors, or GEM motors, 
side-mounted boosters, which were jettisoned one minute, 22 seconds into the flight, and a 10-foot diameter payload fairing, which was similarly disposed about four minutes later as it climbed into space. Uh, basically, we're seeing the end of an era with this satellite, the beginning of a new one, uh, as private companies like SpaceX leads the way in technological innovation. Hopefully, this will this will see a new space race uh, between SpaceX and uh, whatever whatever the Amazon guy is doing, Lord Bezos, <laughs> whatever his name is. But but Lord Bezos, yeah, oh yeah, all hail, <laughs> all hail. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's definitely no way that uh, a gigantic laser in space is going to go wrong or be turned against us, since even the NSA yeah, I, has been I hacked. Just saying. So you know. When we were, um, before we were even, you know, a twinkle in our daddy's eyes, all of us collectively, there was the uh, existential cultural angst over the potential for a nuclear Armageddon. And a movie was made called um, Dr. Strangelove or How I Love to Learn to Love the Bomb. I really think maybe we need an addition of that for the modern age. Uh, Something about how I uh, learned to fear the laser because this is going to end badly. Mm Mm-hmm. Have they, not watched, have they not watched the first Star Wars movie? Dude, Death Star, Giant Laser from Space. Yep, right. Well. Uh, <laughs> I almost made an Alderaan joke, but I just it, I lost it. <laughs> too, <laughs> soon, too, too soon, man. Too soon. 40 years and it's still too soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let me make, um, uh, was it, Dr. Strangelove? I'll throw that in the show notes. Because if you haven't seen it, you're missing out. I watched that in a uh, the politics of Hollywood class I took in college. So it's about propaganda and the role of um, entertainment on culture. So, and it was, it was pretty unbiased, I think um, from an aging hippie that was the professor. It's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. But anyway, that's a good movie if you haven't seen it, people. And so, uh, because Chris was so rude and I interrupted him about 12 times, but uh, the article that I, I found is called SpaceX has apparently tweaked its giant BFR rocket design and it looks awesome. Now that's the title. We don't pick the titles. We know uh, SpaceX or space.com. The website can do a better job at titles, but uh, be that as it may, we will carry on. So it's yet another article where the title says it all. It's almost like they don't want us to read the articles, Chris. Right. Right. I think that's what it is. So space, I think they just – they don't know the technique. Maybe, maybe. So uh, they need to go back to journalism school or something uh, or get a better editor. (laughs) So SpaceX (laughs) giant Big Falcon rocket or BFR has a sleek new look for an audacious private passenger flight around the moon. Um, If early rendering is anything to go by, the BFR is going to have some wild fins. They displayed the uh, the art for that last night that we talked about with Elon Musk and the um, the Zozo uh, creator, the company, Uh, on September thirteenth, twenty eighteen. <clears throat> they SpaceX announced that it had signed a deal to launch the private passenger flight around the moon with the new mega rocket uh, sometime in the future. Details are scant, other than who the first guest will be. Uh, but the private spaceflight company did unveil a new artist's concept of the BFR passenger rocket around the moon. So that is from the article. So this is now my interpretation. So basically, uh, the new look for this rocket will be uh, was recently revealed. So stay tuned as we see the um, transformation from art to conceptual. And um, I can say that it's uh, a sexy new design that seems to harken back to that hopeful pre-moon landing era uh, art that came out of the 1950s. It kind of had a Jetsons vibe to me. Uh, you saw the uh, the unveiling as well. Did you, did you get that too, Chris? Who are you asking? Oh, me? Yeah, mm. you, you watched it. 
No, I, I got more like 1950s Pulp Fiction. Okay, I can buy that. So, uh, or as they say in RoboCop, I'll buy that for a buck. But, hmm. um, but, but I could be wrong. Um, so click the link, read the article, and check it out for yourself. And that will be in the show notes. So, CC, uh, as we bring this uh, this journey to a close, how can listeners find you? Um, they can find me on at ccekeke.com. And from there, you can find me on Facebook. And you can also find me on Instagram. And there's also a, I also have a Facebook group for people who are interested in or have read my books. So they can, can congregate and we can talk about all this kind of cool stuff, whether it be my books or science fiction or pop culture and all that fun stuff. Outstanding. And what about us, Chris? Where can they find us? Our website is www.sfshenanigans.com. Our Twitter handle is at SFS, that's Sierra Foxtrot Sierra underscore show. Our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com. And our Facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash sfshenanigans. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.